Saving money on protecting your garden. Now at Menards. Messina's Animal Stopper is a liquid repellent that prevents pesky animals from damaging your garden. Available in a convenient, ready-to-use bottle. It lasts for up to 30 days, regardless of weather and watering. Save big money on Messina's Animal Stopper at Menards. And check out our weekly flyer on Menards.com for more great deals happening now. Why did you name me Ahmed? On your mother's side, most of the men's names started with Ahmed. If their name, just to use an example, was Athar, they would be named Ahmed Athar Usmani. So that is where we took Ahmed from. This is my father, Wahid Akbar. He immigrated to the United States from Pakistan in the 70s with my late mother. So have you heard how other people say my name? When you were born, we were concerned how your name is going to be pronounced differently by different people. How do you say my name? Ahmed. I say Ahmed. Uh, Ahmed. <laughs> it's an easy name to say for me. Ahmed. Well, I'm not sure I quite have it right even now. The way that I pronounce my friend's name is Ahmed. I have known Ahmed Ali Akbar for a long time. Can you say Ahmed? Ahmed. Can you say it one more time? Ahmed. 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 Ahmed! Ahmed Ali Akbar. Ahmed. That's how you pronounce it. For many people, Ahmed is a confusing name, and so is the way I say it. Hearing that name, many people assume my native language is Arabic or that I'm from the Middle East. The name Ahmed does originally come from Arabic. It means the praised one, and it's related to the name Muhammad. But it's now a global name, shared by all sorts of cultures that don't speak Arabic like my family, who speak Urdu and Punjabi and have roots in the Indian subcontinent. So, sure, in the language it originates from, it's pronounced Ahmed. But by the time it arrived in my parents' native Pakistan, the pronunciation changed to Ahmed. And when it came to America, it changed again. I actually don't mind people saying my name in all sorts of different ways. I know I've messed up plenty of other names, even when I try really hard to say it right. But what I do mind is people avoiding saying my name because they think they'll say it wrong. And what I found is, when I tell people my name is Ahmed, they pause and say, I really want to get it right. And then they usually can't. Why is that? Can I help people say my name right, if they want to? Well, let's talk to some experts and find out. This is Radio Lingo from Duolingo and Crooked Media. And I'm your host, Ahmed Ali Akbar. As if you didn't hear that name a dozen times already. Episode 1 What's in a Name? So a little bit about me before we get into it. I'm a James Beard award-winning journalist and podcast host. In my free time, I spend way too much time thinking about linguistics. Radio Lingo, this show, was cooked up by the world's favorite way to learn a language, Duolingo, and the folks at Crooked Media. Together, we're going to explore how language shapes our world and how our world shapes languages. And to kick things off, I wanted to start with something really close to my heart. Can I help people say my name correctly? And in answering this question, and every question posed in this series, we'll use science, history, and linguistics to provide you with the tools to understand how language shapes our world. 
Um, so, Sandy, you, you, you know what we're talking about, right, today? I do, and I woke up with anxiety about it. <laughs> <laughs> this is Sandy Gerard. She's executive vice president of programming at Crooked Media. And she's more upset about saying my name wrong than I am. So I thought your name was pronounced Amit, more like Med in the back, like the spelling. Um, And then you and I had that really awkward tutorial where I finally had to like fess up to you. And I think our third meeting where I said, honestly, I don't know why, but I have this like brain disconnect when it comes to saying your name. I just get anxious about it. This experience Sandy is describing of checking her speech production for errors has a technical term in linguistics, monitoring. It means paying special attention to the language that you're producing. It's something we all do, especially when learning a language. And we self-monitor whenever we stumble on something, even in our native language. And of course, a new name in a different language can be extra hard. My tongue gets to, like, swells in my mouth. And so I, I know I'm always pronouncing it incorrectly. And I hate that because I know how annoying that is. You see, Sandy has a complicated story when it comes to her name, too. My name is Sandy Gerard, which most people who meet me um, are immediately confused because I'm Korean-American. And so Sandy Gerard is not usually what they expect. But that's actually not my um, birth name. My birth name is Minsun. And when my family immigrated to the U.S. when I was five, my uncle and aunt who had been living in the U.S. decided that all of the cousins like needed Americanized names or American names. And so, like, one by one, we were all stripped of Korean identity, at least in name. No one in your family calls you by your Korean name? There was only one auntie who would call me by my Korean name. And she's the oldest of the family. And she always called everyone by their Korean name. But she was kind of gangster like that. She didn't care. When I heard this story, I began to understand why Sandy was so intent on getting my name right. Because honestly, that's a rare quality. She's one of the few people who has been super upfront about not knowing how to say it and wanting to improve. And so Sandy is essentially the spark for this episode's mission. Can I help non-Urdu-speaking people to say my name the way I say it, if they want to put in the effort? And how have other immigrants in English-speaking countries grappled with maintaining their first names in a new place? Let's tackle that last question first. First names are fundamental in our development and growth as individual people. And that's something that I'm thinking about a lot right now. I have a daughter. She's four months as of this recording. And according to our linguists, this is the month she starts recognizing her name, which is way earlier than I expected. Some studies show that by five months, babies begin recognizing when their name is being mispronounced. The name I picked for her, Aziza, is fairly easy for English speakers to pronounce, but it's also a fairly traditional Pakistani Muslim name. I understand, though, why so many immigrant families have opted for Americanized names like Sandy's did. It helps to establish a new identity and prevents the discomfort of having to correct people. But other people feel differently, like Somali poet Warsan Shire, who famously said, give your daughters difficult names, names that command the full use of the tongue. It used to be that people would ask me if they could just call me Armand or Albert. But now the idea is brewing that there's beauty in embracing the challenge of a name like Ameth. With all this in my head, I wanted to reach out to my former BuzzFeed colleague, El Amin, who wrote an essay about his daughter's name titled A Father's Letter to an Infant Daughter, 
I wanted my last name to be a burden. And when we sat down to chat, it turns out he's got name problems too. I asked him first, tell me your full name. Asking me my full name is like a dangerous proposition because I come from a patrilineal family tradition. Like I come from a place where I can give you eight grandfathers back, but I will give it to you, which is Al-Amin, Saifuddin, Al-Amin, Abdul Mahmoud, Umar, Babikir, Muhammad, Noor, Sheikh Khodri. However, we'll just go with Al-Amin, Abdul Mahmoud, the abbreviated version. I was nodding my head to that. Because <laughs> yeah, it's a very rhythm. You develop a rhythm to it. Otherwise, you'll never memorize it. It's like, you got to get a trick. And everybody has a trick. And my trick is like, make it like a little rap. El Amin is an immigrant who arrived in Canada from Sudan. And his daughter was born in Canada. So to him, her name became an opportunity to symbolize that journey. So, what's the name? Amna Elliot Adolmat Mood. Elamine is a podcasting pro, by the way. He has a show called Pop Chat on the CBC. So we sent him out on some intrepid reporting to his own daughter. Do you like your name? Yes. What do you like about your name? That I like that there's two A's in the sound of the A, and I like the word Amna. It's safe and in Arabic. Yeah, it does. I love her so much, and I haven't even met her. But back to Amna's name. Elamine told me it was actually his wife who picked it. She was the person who was like, what about this name? What about Amna? It was a name that she saw somewhere and she didn't know what it meant. And I sort of like looked at her and teared up because Amna means safe and sound. And Amna, our daughter, is 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 our, sort of our second pregnancy. Our first pregnancy ended in a miscarriage. And so it kind of felt poetic. Um, it felt like bit of a dream of like, yeah, this is something that we're pursuing. And it's like a wish, you know, it's a, it's a wish for your next child to be safe and sound. Even at her young age, it's clear that Amna feels just as strongly about her name as her father does. And the interesting thing is, she's already embarked on the burden of correcting people. One day when I was going to the gym, I think, um, I told Miss Smith, my name is actually not Amna, my name is Amna. And what did Miss Smith say when you said, my name is not Amna, my name is Amna? She said, thank you for reminding me. It's always good to um, remind people what your name is, because every person's name is special. She is so brave for doing this. Correcting people is a hard game. Personally, I'm usually totally fine with good enough. As long as they're not saying Ahmed or Ahmed, Emmett is fine. I mean, I probably can't pronounce Elamine's full name very well myself. The important thing is taking pride in your name. That's why I always say Ammon, even though other people, even my friends, may say it differently. Can I just say about your name? I am actively like resisting the temptation to be like, bruh, do you even know how to say your own name? <laughs> because I, I, yes, I want to yes. say it for you. Don't you know it's like Ahmed Ali Akbar, you know? This is such a common thing for me. So many Arabic speakers tell me I'm saying my own name wrong. But because Ahmed is an Arabic origin name, there are people who think the Arabic pronunciation is the only correct pronunciation. And maybe Alamin is one of those people. Could I ask you, could you try to say it the way that I say it? How would you, could you can you give it a shot? I like try to imagine my mouth making those sounds. And then immediately my brain was like, no, 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 abort mission. So let me, let me try this again. No, I can't do it. Ahmed, Ahmed Ali Akbar. So part of how you say a name is the culture you're in, what you're used to. 
But Elamine saying his mouth couldn't make those sounds had me thinking. Are there sounds in my name that some people just physically can't say? Could that be the issue? To answer these questions, I'm calling up an expert after the break. Can non-native speakers successfully pick up these sounds in their adulthood? 100% yes. My name is Sabina Sheikh. I am a PhD student in the Institute of Islamic Studies at McGill University. And I also teach language classes in Hindi-Urdu. In her classroom, Sabina has plenty of language learners who struggle to make new sounds involved in learning a language. When babies babble, they're just testing out a bunch of new sounds. And these sounds are the beginnings of what linguists refer to as phonemes, the individual sounds we use in our language. As we get older, it becomes harder to make the phonemes that don't occur in our native languages. It turns out Urdu has a lot of phonemes that are difficult for English speakers to hear. And so when I say Ahmed, if you don't speak Urdu, you literally may not hear the difference in sounds. Sounds that were heavily influenced by other languages throughout history. We are heavily influenced by Persian, and that's because there were Arab merchants, you know, pre-Islamic Arab merchants who were making their way to South Asia and used Persian as their their lingua franca. Um, And from that Persian, we also have, obviously, the Arabic alphabet and um, Arabic words that were coming in from a variety of different sources. Because South Asia was influenced by Islam from such an early part of our our history, there are obviously many names that are Arabic names. They are Quranic names or like biblical names. Though my name is derived from the Arabic language, it was adopted in the Indian subcontinent in places like Punjab, where my family is from. And because of that, it changed. This happens all the time in all sorts of cultures. Miguel, Mikhail, and Michael are the same name in three different languages. And that middle consonant is whatever phoneme that language used to approximate another sound. In Arabic, they distinguish between a hard H and a soft H, a ha or a ha. In Urdu, we don't distinguish, and that's confusing for Arabic speakers. But it's not just Arabic speakers who mess up my name. It's often people whose native language is English. For English speakers, though, it's another sound they're stuck on. Not so much the H as the D, because the D is a different kind of D. When we say dog, what's happening is our tongue is sitting behind our front two teeth. Dog. And that's the D that we use in a lot of different words in in Urdu as well. But more often, like in your name, we use the dental D. And what's happening there is your tongue is going all the way between your top front teeth and your bottom front teeth. And that's how you get that the sound. And that sound, that phoneme, not so easy for my English-speaking friends to emulate. Over the years, I've tried to develop a trick to get people to say my name. I say it's am, like I am, and mud, like mud. That gets people to amud. And honestly, I have to say I do slightly prefer that to Emmet. But that only gets us so far because of that dental D. And for English speakers who don't have the D sound, it can take a lot of practice. But it's helpful to start with teaching them to hear the difference. 
Again, English D is like duh. My D is like duh. Duh, duh. Sabina had one other piece of advice that rang true for me. I think that people should pronounce names for people not based off of these preconceived notions of how they should be pronounced, but perhaps on how the person does pronounce it. Because I've met plenty of quote-unquote Arab Ahmads who call themselves Ahmed, and that is what they're comfortable with. And I'm not going to argue with them for 10 hours and be like, no, your name is Ahmad, can't you pronounce it right? I'm just going to say, okay, bro, your name is Ahmed, cool, I'm going to call you that because... It's not only about the language, and I don't think that language is one of those hard and fast things that doesn't change and evolve with time. I think that we, we kind of have to go with the flow. But we didn't always go with the flow when it came to immigrant names. In fact, immigrants often had to do the going with the flowing, which meant many of them actually changed their name to make it easier for English speakers. My name's Xian Zhao. Uh, I'm a researcher, a postdoc researcher at the University of Toronto. Xi'an is an expert when it comes to the first names of immigrants, specifically Chinese immigrants. He's conducted research projects that test the real-life effects of having a, quote, foreign-sounding first name. His interest in this topic stem from real-life experience. When Xi'an first came to the United States, he visited family in Los Angeles, including his beloved aunt who works as a masseuse. And he was shocked at the name she was going by. Uh, her name is Susan. <laughs> Uh, but her ori- original name is Guiqing, which is also a very beautiful sounding name. So Susan, so she didn't tell me, like when I was in China, like she has this name, Susan, because I feel if she told me, I would laugh at her probably. Uh, you're and laughing then, now. You're laughing right now as you're telling the story. Yeah, yeah, I would laugh at her. Why you, why you have a name, Susan? It sounds so funny. Uh, so when I arrived in the U.S., like I heard other people, other Chinese masseuses, call her Susan. I was surprised. Xian was surprised, but he understood why the masseuses anglicized their names. They ran a customer-driven business. They wanted to make the experience easy for all the English speakers who come in and use their services. But when Xian arrived at the University of Kansas, the plot thickened. He realized he was surrounded by fellow Chinese immigrants going by English names. Why? They're essentially in academia, a liberal universe. Why the need to resort to an anglicized name? So being the good psychology student, he decided to run his first experiment, a simple survey. How many Chinese students in the psychology department anglicized their names? The results, about half. When he entered his postdoc at the University of Toronto, he continued the experiment, but this time he examined a different department, business school. And I found that almost 80% of business school students who are Chinese students, they anglicize their name, compared to only 50% in University of Kansas who are psychology major students. And my explanation is that it's because professionalism in business school is so strong. Like people think anglicizing the name makes them more like a business person. This sparked a new question. Does anglicizing a Chinese name benefit you professionally? In a later experiment, he played the audio of one of his lectures for two groups of white American college students at the University of Kansas, alongside a picture of himself. For one of the groups, he told the students the name of the instructor was Xi'an. So you actually, you actually use your own name in your research? Yeah, exactly. My, my name and my, my picture. The second group was told the lecture came from a man named Xi'an, who goes by Alex. At the end, he asked them questions like, to what extent did you like this instructor? 
would you enroll in his class? Do you think this instructor is competent? And well, what, what were the results? What did you find when you compared how they liked Xi'an versus Alex? Yeah, so in this study, they overall dislike Xi'an than Alex. This is big. Xi'an basically proved that your first name can affect the way people perceive you in a professional setting. He's mostly tested Chinese and Arabic names in English-speaking North America. But we might imagine that you can broaden this research. For example, could adopting a Greek name in a Greek university help migrant students there too? So now he had a new question. Can you quantify the effect of this kind of name bias? He ran a field experiment where he emailed 400 white Anglo university professors all around the country. All the emails said the same thing. Hi, next week I'll be coming to the campus of your university. Do you have 15 minutes to meet and discuss graduate school applications? But there were two conditions. Same situation as last time. One group received emails from Xi'an, and the other... The same email. The only difference is there's another sentence saying that you can call me by Alex. Xi'an randomly assigned all the faculty members to either the Xi'an email or the Alex email. And then he clicked send. And I see that there is 10% difference in reply rate. Faculty members replied more often to Alex than they did to Xi'an. So Alex's condition were more likely to get replied, which means they got more opportunities to talk about research and graduate school application with faculty members than Xi'an condition. In the real world, this means depending on your first name alone, you may get less opportunities without even realizing it. I never try to think of my name as a burden, especially as an adult. But Xi'an is proving that perhaps there are actual consequences to maintaining your foreign-sounding name. Were you optimistic when you, when you did this research? Like, did you hope to see something different? Or did you feel, like, validated, depressed? I feel depressed. I feel depressed. I, because when people know you, it's, it gets better. People respect you. People know, like, you are a good person. But in certain situations, like quick meetings, like in conferences, people don't really hope to know you deeply. In those situations, I worry about if you create disadvantage, discrimination, because of my name. Hearing all this left me with one important question for Xi'an. It seems like you're getting a lot of feedback that your name is causing challenges for you. Despite all of that, you are determined to keep your birth name, which is great. What is it that's causing you to hold out? My name has meanings. I got it from my parents, uh, linked to my big extended family. It's important to me. And also, I want to say to the general public, please uh, respect each other's name. Try to learn how to pronounce each other's name correctly. If you don't understand, just ask that person. Keep asking. And throughout that process, maybe you can build a good relationship, like friendship. And also, this is not only the burden on white Americans. It's everyone, including myself. Like, there are so many Arabic names, African names, like Latino names I couldn't pronounce correctly. But I would like to learn. Please teach me. So, this all brings us back to our first question of the episode. Can I help people to pronounce my name correctly? Specifically, can I help Sandy, a willing participant, an eager student, pronounce my name the way I do? 
It's okay if she can't say my name 100% correctly. That dental D is hard for someone who's not encountered it at the end of a name. Just like the tones in a name like Xian are hard for me. Producing these sounds is a matter of the mouth and the muscles in the mouth. We have decades of the muscles in our mouth moving in a very specific way and definitely not moving in another way. So for those who really want to learn, I can try to train them. But it's important to be realistic. People study languages for years and still can't always make the tricky sounds. I asked our expert from earlier, Sabina Sheikh, for help. And then I reported what she recommended back to Sandy Gerard. So I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to tell you what I learned. You have to learn to fish so that you can teach others to fish. Exactly. I'm ready. I'm exactly. ready. <laughs> so she, she, she says what it really is is two things. One is the very first problem, which is the way it's spelled. Okay? A-H-M-E-D. What I try to tell people is don't envision the letters in your head. So I want you to eliminate that E from your head, okay? Because it's not an E like in English. Okay. <laughs> that's, that's the first thing. And the other thing that she said was that... I know it sounds kind of silly, but I, I tell them to be like a parrot. Listen to what I'm saying and show them how your tongue sticks out between your teeth. You kind of have to get used to putting your, your tongue in the right position. Your tongue is at the front of your teeth. Duh, duh, duh. Uh-huh. Like the heavy tongue. Duh. Well, when you say D and like like say say dog. 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 Where where in your mouth is is the D? Dog. Where's your um, tongue? It's more it's not quite in the front. It's a little bit like I would say like a couple inches back from the front is what it feels it's like. It's not touching the teeth, right? Yeah. Dog. It's like touching the front of like the roof of your mouth. The roof the of my mouth. And so Sandy and I embark on our lesson. We take our time and we're patient with ourselves. It's actually touching the teeth. Okay. So it's, you see where your tongue is there? But you're not making the same sound. You're making a D. You know, actually, Russian is like that. Oh, really? So it's called a dental D. And then... Amoth. See, that to me is better. It's closer than Amud. So I think we're getting better, Sandy. So I want you to say I, I, I feel more optimistic from this conversation than I have ever felt about non-Urdu speakers, non-Hindi speakers saying my name the way I say it. Well, I appreciate your patience and all of the clever devices and bringing in experts to get me to a uh, what feels like a C, to be honest, a C. Um, <laughs> I think in terms of if, if this was graded on a curve. I would say probably a solid B. Hmm. <laughs> I would say B. I, we're that, not, that feels generous, but I appreciate it's appreciated. Sabina Sheikh said, "Be like a parrot. Imitate the person in front of you." Ahmed is always going to have a range of pronunciations. That's okay. But I think what's important to me is that people pay attention to and respect the way I say my name. It's okay if they don't get every single sound exactly right. I know now it's not their fault if their brain just can't make sense of those sounds. But to be honest, if I can help people get it closer, then I'm happier. It feels like home when my family says my name. Amad is how my most loved ones say it. And I think it's an act of love to try 
even when you're failing. The work is worth the battle. Elamine Abdul Mahmoud said it nicely. I think the battle is good. Like, I think, like, going through that work is good for you because names are alive. Names are not things that are dead. Names ask things of us. They ask us to remember. They ask us to think about the things that we are related to, the people we are related to, the lineage that we're connected to. In the United States, there's an attachment to pronouncing names correctly. We feel inadequate when we can't do something right. But like babies babbling, we have to explore the new sounds in our mouth and be patient with one another while we learn and practice and get uncomfortable. And that's where growth happens. Now, before we go, be like a parrot. All right, we're going to try now. It's amad, not amad. Amad. Duh, duh, duh. Look at my mouth. Duh. At the front of your teeth. Not amad. Okay, all right, we're going to do it again with feeling. Thanks so much for listening to the very first episode of Radio Lingo. I have some good news. There's more where that came from. So here's a sneak peek at some of our favorite moments from season one. Very often, uh, when I talk to people, they say, well, you don't sound like you're from Kentucky at all. And I say, what the hell, you want me to sound like the Dukes of Hazard or for an older generation, Little Abner? Well, uh, this is a famous one. Um, and that is, uh, dragon is not a slave. Comedies have such a hard job in terms of translating jokes from one language to the other that what the translators for the dubbing version do is just change a bunch of the jokes to something that, that is funnier in their own language. Language is often where transphobia or less than fully affirming attitudes toward trans people often shows up. And it was, uh, I saw my Vietnamese friend and I said, look, I met someone, she's Vietnamese and I think I'm going to marry her. When they were talking about, for example, cooking chicken, white and dark meat originated as terms to avoid mentioning breasts and limbs. All right, I'll see you back here at Radio Lingo next week. Till then. Radio Lingo is an original podcast from Duolingo and Crooked Media. I'm Amadal Yuckberg, your host, writer, and producer. From Crooked Media, executive producers are Sandy Gerard and Katie Long. From Duolingo, executive producers are Laura Maycumber and Timothy Shea. This episode was produced and co-written by Mary Knopf and story edited by Lacey Roberts. Our associate producer and fact checker is Brian Semmel. Our theme and original music is by Carly Bond, with mixing, sound design, and additional music by Hannes Brown. Additional research and production support from Crooked Media's Ari Schwartz and Duolingo Cindy Blanco, Emily Chu, Alexa Fernandez, and Hope Wilson. Special thanks to Crooked Media's Danielle Jensen and Gabriella Lavarette, and Duolingo's Michaela Crone, Monica Earl, and Sam Dalsimar for promotional support. <laughs>